I'm Josh. And I'm Kevin. And on this episode of the Filmmaker's Guide to the Industry, we have Nick Matthews. He was the DP on the latest Dan Myrick film, Black Veil. He also did Cuck. And Nick is amazing, highly intelligent, um, has a visual style all his own. And, you know, I cannot wait for you guys to listen it, to him. Just hearing him talk, it almost sounds like he has a photographic memory. Just <laughs> what he the words he uses and how he how he visualizes he's very easy he, he's very capable of painting a visual picture for you with how he talks about a scene um all right well so nick thanks for coming on man i really appreciate you giving us your time absolutely i had such a great time meeting you uh on, on a, a production of black veil in florida and uh yeah just always love talking about film and filmmaking in the process and yeah of course at the time of this record uh, episode one has been um shot and whatnot um with with black veil being an episodic how, how are you as a dp handling um you know your, your storyboard your your mood board um you know is it changing episode to episode or are you kind of taking a big picture approach yeah, I think, you know, a bit of that's to be determined because it's being shot in a we're not necessarily we're not block shooting the entire show. Uh, if we were block shooting it, then, you know, all the episodes would be roughly written and we would have that sort of completely built out. So sort of what the approach was, uh, you know, uh, basically, once I got the script, Dan Myrick and I. Uh, hopped on the phone and we really spent uh, a couple days uh, just I, I spent a couple days on my own sort of just spending a lot of time looking at a lot of different southern photographers and painters and I originally grew up in uh, South Carolina and Kentucky and I've always you know felt like a great connection to both Southern art and Southern literature. And really last year spent a lot of most of the year reading a lot of Southern Gothic. So this kind of, you know, when we were talking about what this is and what the world of this is, we really just started throwing a lot of references at each other. And we started looking at a lot of different films together and sort of talking about what that was. And then, kind of along the process of just in the process of talking about the script and what the script was about and, you know, who the characters were, where they, uh, how, what sort of world we, they, they existed within and sort of what their mental state and experience was a lot of the look and feel sort of evolved from that. So it's sort of, it was sort of interesting once we wrapped production, I kind of, went back through all my references and it was like, Oh yeah, well, all of this is, I can feel all of these, but we didn't necessarily, uh, we didn't do storyboards. Uh, you know, we, we essentially, we knew that this was the sort of piece that really had to lean into the, the atmosphere of each location. So locations were a really big challenge, but also really important to the look and feel of the show. Um, so a lot of, you know, a lot of our prep work was really just about understanding the story, understanding the, the rhythm and the tone of the piece. And then it, it only became more, uh, it only became clearer the more we sort of locked locations. And as we locked locations, we were, you know, crafting a shot list together, which uh, 
if we'd had more time, you know, maybe we would have gone into storyboards, but there's a certain degree to which filmmaking is so much of filmmaking is like theater in the sense that you're sort of Hmm. putting together a great team of people. You're rehearsing sort of towards this idea, but when you actually get to production, you have to embrace the spontaneity of it and you have to be flexible. Um, I mean, you saw that firsthand, obviously Josh, you know, um, and, and we had to, you know, at a certain point you can come up with whatever plan you want, but Ultimately, what's happening is what's in front of you with those actors in that specific time. And you sort of have to adapt and you have to, you know, sometimes it works better than others. But you, uh, you, you that's part of why if you the way I sort of look at it is like if you know the box that you're trying to make, you can think outside of that. Right. So, I, I, you know, you go in with a, a shot list that, you know, you're probably going to adapt and change because you probably have, you know, uh, 25% too many shots and you have yada, yada, yada. So if that makes sort of sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, so as you, as you know, you talk about the scouting and stuff and I know, you know, you and Dan did a lot of scouting ahead of time and there was a lot of changes. Um, how, as you did that process and you're looking at locations, are you getting inspired by those locations and saying, well, now we can do this or how is this location going to influence lighting and all that? Cause I mean, I know I'm on you guys with these scouts too sometimes, but you know, I'm so thinking about other things, you know, that sure. sometimes, yeah. you know, and I'm just trying to give you guys the space to talk about what you're going to talk about. So how much does, you know, cause Lation, you know, you said it, locations are very important. So how much does that add to what you guys are trying to do aesthetically and, you know, with the look of the film? What I would say is, uh, part of that process, you know, part of us sort of sharing and talking about what is this world meant, talking about the fact that the South kind of, the South sort of is a, a really interesting place. And I grew up in like a very religious community in the mm-hmm. South, um, you know, it was a very specific, my experience of the South was a very specific, but right. as we look, look at the, the script and talk about the themes of the script and talk about this sort of characters and you're sharing images. A lot of those images are, you know, we wanted to find kind of the sort of the ways in which the South depicts both this sort of generational challenges, the sort of generational struggle, economic struggles, the sort of, you know, the racial struggles, the, the, you know, the uh, disparity of, uh, I mean, the South is a place that sort of wears its, symbolically sort of wears its struggles and its past and its history on its sleeves. And we were looking for places that embodied that. And, you know, that's one thing you can tell a a location scout and you can send them a lot of references, but ultimately it really, you know, it honestly just required us getting boots on the ground and Mm -hmm. Dan and I spending a lot of time driving around and you just stumble across these places. And we ended up with some really incredible locations that had, a sense of history they weren't those sort of like you know prefab kind of corporate structures that have just been erected in the last like 20 years but there were places that you know date back to the 1800s or to the you know early 1900s and they felt the effects of history sort of uh you know they history has left its scars and right. and we wanted to have this kind of depth to the to the locations that we shot that sort of 
gives you it sort of layers a it layers backstory into something that you can't communicate in any other way because those locations and the the experience of those locations express something uh sort of metaphoric as well as something literal about the characters so i guess what i would say is you know that you're it's sort of a you with the way we were doing this production we we weren't going in looking to control change and completely reshape every location right as a result that meant let's maximize our resources let's find locations that really have a, a sense of place and space and time that really like throw the audience somewhere and you're looking at those locations through different times of day you're trying to see them at you know, okay, we have nighttime sequences here. I want to know what the natural light is giving me, what the ambient existing light is giving me. And then I can make choices within that context to craft a look that fits what we're talking about and what we're aiming for, but also maximize what already exists within that location. So it really was, a, you know, part of it was just finding those places that spoke to us. And to be honest, like, it's, it's the sort of thing where you read apartment on a script or you read like, you know, it's an old uh, it's an old store or something like that. And, and you start to see locations and you're just like, well, this feels like this could be anywhere. And then as you start to drive around and you start to find those places that really have a, a sense of the old south and kind of a sense of, uh, you know, the sort of the sort of backwoods areas that not everybody's seen, not everybody knows exists. Right. but seven generations of Floridians or whoever have lived there. Right. Um, and the only way to find those was by driving around and, and you see something that catches your eye and inspires something. And then as you, you know, you go and you talk to the owner and you start to you just kind of get a sense of the place. I think, I think places sort of have, you know, places sort of exude a certain feel or a certain energy or whatever you want to call that. It's, it's all everything about that aesthetic. It's how run down certain things are. It's the mismatched, you know, colors of the lights. It's the fact that there, you know, there's a hundred bizarre artifacts jammed into this little old movie, <laughs> the, you know, movie theater that's converted into a store that yep. existed in the 1920s in this tiny f town in Florida. Um, and as you see those places, you're starting to imagine your scenes existing there. So I, what I try to do is I try to take a, just a ton of photographs and a ton of, you know, I'll take readings of the light and, and whatever I can. And then as you sort of pump those out to, you know, the other department heads and you and the director, and you're talking about what do we like about this location? You, you both have your initial instinctual feeling of a place. And you also have these photographs that, as you look through them, it's like, oh no, like these, this is the angle. This is, you know, what's working about this space. This is what's unique and interesting. And I'm always looking for that. And on any project I work on, I'm looking for locations that inspire mm -hmm. something about the film, something about the themes of the film or the characters. And then you have the pragmatic realities, you know, of the script that every location has to be adapted to this film and to these characters, unless it's absolutely perfect, you know, but a lot of times that was just adding a few lights or that was adding a few props or bringing in some, you know, we had our art department did a great job. I was really, really pleased. And I think they, they took what every location had to offer and they sort of maximize that and added to it. Um, 
you know, really with every scene. So what kind of happens then is that as locations become finalized, you can start to really flesh out, you know, okay, this is the space we're going to use. I know, you know, in, in some realistic practical way, the character has to get from point A to point B. So how do we, how do we structure the scenes within those contexts and within those spaces to get us from point A to point B in the most efficient story effective way possible that still has something to say about this character. Um, and for us, that was, you know, we had a really, uh, we knew what sort of our package was going to look like. We knew what our locations were sort of shaping up to be. So you're, you're basically, you're trying to like stack, you're trying to set yourself up for success and still leave enough room that you don't suck all the life out of what you're making mm. by over overly planning or overly articulating what you're crafting. And right. honestly, that's something I think Dan was really great at. Not every director is good at that. Um, but, you know, being able to recognize the gifts of the locations, recognize, you know, sort of recognize our, our situation and how much material we have to shoot in each place. You know, some days are better than others. You know, there are, it's just the nature of production. It's a moving train. And like, sometimes you get derailed and you have to find a way back, you know, back in. And that's part of the fun and part of the challenge. Um, but it's why you bring on great collaborators. It's why you bring on terrific crew. It's why you bring on actors that inspire you because, Ultimately, at the end of the day, we all just want to see films that transport us emotionally. And we want to see films that awaken something within us that allow us to experience, you know, another character's reality that opens our eyes to our own human condition. And I think that can happen in any genre. And, uh, you know, luckily, this being something that's Southern Gothic, it really leans into, you know, these deep shadows and atmosphere and just so much, uh, you know, that sort of I'm particularly drawn to photographically. So Mm -hmm. there's a certain degree to which you just get into the, you get into production and you just have to trust that all the preparation you've done is going to funnel into what you make. And at a certain point, you're just going with your gut, but you've already established all these rules and you've already chosen these places. Um, And those sort of things, you know, they just it's the film is the sum of its parts you know it's the sum of its people it's never the result of just one person so right i don't know if that answers your question but no totally no totally you said one thing in there that i really liked which is you know not not over planning to where you can't um you leave yourself no room for you know improvisation so yes um, which i think is definitely an important thing um i mean there was a lot that digest there i mean it was all great the 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 one thing that i kind of am interested in is is there a certain scene a certain day um one frame that really just kind of catches your eye that you can kind of just paint the picture as to how you got there hmm that's a good question i mean think you know just pick it pick anything i mean you 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 mentioned um a convenience store you know the backwoods of of the city of the town that you were in just anything in particular yeah i mean i don't want to give anything away about the film so i think i think what i would say is like our opening scene uh hmm, maybe that's i don't know if i want to give away that it's the opening scene maybe you should cut that part um (laughs) 
I'll just say that we ended up shooting in a motel, which, you know, we scouted probably three or four motels. And at a certain point, we ended up cheating together the exterior of a, of a building that we really loved and the interior of a motel that we really loved the interior of and was really uh, was something that we could we were able to pull off the production inside of really well. Um, you know, without giving away what's happening in the scene, I think there's. I think it's hard for me to talk about without giving away what's happening in a scene because everything was chosen. You know, ultimately we saw this film as a, a subjective, uh, as a subjective story that we told through the lead character's perspective. And we used the camera to constantly put the audience into her head and, to, and to sort of put the audience into her emotional space. So the opening scene, you know, all sorts of this, uh, sort of set in a motel and all, and, and so much of the, that scene is about revealing this character. I'm very interested in how you reveal, you know, important characters in a script. It's, it's a choice every filmmaker has. And every time you see a new character, you're sort of giving the audience a chance to, uh, make an assessment of that character. Mm -hmm. So with that, you know, you're also thinking about, well, how do I, how do I titillate the audience? How do I use mystery? How do I use shadows? And how do I use sort of the way in which the camera moves and the way in which the char characters are framed to reveal this character and also say something about their emotional and mental state? Um, I can, t I could, I guess my question is like, I can tell specifics, but if this is releasing before the show does, then I'm a little, no, no you're, you're no, all good. Uh, no, you're fine right now. Honestly, that everything that you just gave it, it's yeah. just, once again, it, it, I, but I, I, I would say, uh, well, I can give you something specific. You know, one of the, so Dan and I looked at, I, I brought a lot of references to the table that I talked with Dan about. And some of those were been looking at a lot of man Ray photos. I don't know if you're familiar with him. But he was a surrealist photographer in the you know early 1900s, and he did a lot of uh, bisecting of the frame and, and sort of breaking the frame apart. And that was something Dan and I looked at because we're dealing with a character who's losing control, who's not, you know, she she's dealing with things that are out beyond her. And so it's also dealing with what her sort of fractured mental state and her experience of that is. And so even within the first scene, we were finding ways to shoot through foreground that's bisecting and breaking apart the frame. And you're using things like that as a way to express who the character is. And then the choice of color becomes, you know, literally, I mean, we finished the shot list like uh, two days out from the production just because of how fast, you know, our finding locations and pulling together all the pieces were, was. So as a result, like the day before production, you know, I was sitting there, uh, and I had a good sense of where we wanted to take the color and the color palette in the film. But, you know, the, it's it always is helpful to sort of have a sense of how you're what are these actual spaces? What's within them? And then I can sit with the script and I literally took a colored pencils and I just colored in our color palette for each scene so that when we got into production, I was like, I can see the arc thematic arc of this. And you, you talk about it with the director and you, you know, you want them to them to be excited about that as well. So in this film, you know, red and green and, and these sort of dirty dingy yellows and these kind of, you know, grimy kind of blues. And it was like finding what our specific versions of those color were colors were. And then you're, you're embedding them into sequences where if the audience, it, once again, they may not feel this consciously, but 
you know, the opening scene uses some of the, you know, heavy use of red and that color comes into play in some really critical scenes later in the film. But because you've already experienced it with this character in a specific context, you're going to bring those associative memories and experiences of that color, as well as your own life experience and your own yada yada. Mm -hmm. You're going to bring that in to that later scene. So I sort of see every film as the chance to craft a visual arc, both from composition, camera movement, you know, the use of foreground, midground, background, and how you break apart the frame and how you light three-dimensionally, you know, and, and also how you use color, uh, both to craft something that's, you know, lives within a naturalistic space, but also elevates that space to somewhere that uh, gives each scene its own kind of uh, thematic color arc within the, the realm of the entire film. Um, hopefully that doesn't sound too heady, but it's like, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. it, it just, no, it's all, no, no, it's it kind of shows man. who you are. And I mean, we, right. before we, um, you know, started the podcast, we just, I mean, ever so briefly talked about, um, um, your, your other project. And it, it just kind of seems like you, are you, are you really purposely pulling from older artists? Is that just kind of who you're drawn to? Um, you know, yeah, I mean, I think you, I don't know. I think you're just drawn to the things you're drawn to. And, and also like, I'm very interested in, I'm extremely interested in exploring like, uh, every film has its own language and every film has its own visual, uh, one sort of, they sort of talk about it like this, but you're trying to find the truth of, you know, the truth of the project and you're sort of trying to find, the what makes that project like every project is kind of trying to find itself Mm -hmm. and so you're sort of just like in the beginning of every project i really do see it as kind of an incubation period where you're just taking in like everything that you know of that exists in that world and also that speaks to you and i don't really want to clamp down on that experience too much because you might find yourself just going to the like very a to b sort of reference points you know and and you're looking at oh well someone else made this so we're going to make something just like that and if you're looking at contemporary influences you're probably going to make something that's heavily influenced by those and also feels it, it doesn't necessarily come from a place that's personal or a place that's uh unique and you know with every project in a way you want to make it a unique experience that also lives within a world, I guess. So, you know, for every project I've shot, I think I do have a tendency to sort of draw from a range of like older films and literature and and painters and photographers. And they end up being unique to that film, but there also ends up being overlap and some sort of crossover. Um, I think, you know, I'm very interested in, I love a lot of the films from the seventies. I love a lot of foreign cinema. I also love a lot of, you know, I've really just fallen in love with a lot of uh, photography recently, and I just I find a lot of inspiration from that. But I don't think that it's, you know, we're not setting out to make that. We're making something that's uniquely a Dan Myrick, Nick Matthews look and feel. But it's in, you know, we're talking about Kubrick. I mean, because how do you talk about horror without talking about Kubrick? You know, we're talking about Cronenberg, and we're talking about, you know, and then you start to get into sort of weirder space and you you know you end up talking about a lot of w- William Eggleston and Sally Mann and Saul Leiter 
and like all these other sort of photographers, but it's just kind of, you know, or, or, or Haneke or something like that. You're, you're sort of trying to wrap your head around what is this, who are these characters and what have also, what have other people done to sort of express a similar language? And, and so I don't, I don't see it as a one-to-one. I really do see it as kind of a, you know, I, I think part of the job of a cinematographer, part of the job of a director, part of the job of any filmmaker, you know, most of us don't get to make movies all the time, year in, year out. That's just not how it works. And so some of your favorite filmmakers, you know, they, they take five years in between making films. Mm-hmm. And it's not as though they cease to be a filmmaker. It's not as though they cease to grow as filmmakers because part of fil- the, the job and journey of a filmmaker is to live life to explore, you know, art and to explore the feeling of, uh, being human and to explore your own human condition through music, through theater, through literature, you know, whatever makes you feel alive, whatever makes you tick, whether it's, you know, that's unique to everybody. It's why I love this job. It's why I love this craft because we all bring something of ourselves, something personal, something unique to the table. And literally, you know, the, the lens by which we see the world is the lens by which we create. And so all of that sort of folds itself into who you are. And it's, it's a journey. We're constantly evolving as human beings and we're constantly evolving as artists. Um, you know, and, and I think that you probably are drawn to something for a specific reason, you know, probably some life trauma or life experience or something like that. You know what I mean? Right. So you kind of, you know, parlaying that into, I'd like to find out, you know, like, how did you get started? You know, since you talk about kind of what influences you and everything, I'd like to know, how did you get into the industry? Um, you know, how did you get to the point to where we ran into each other on Black Veil? Yeah. Well, uh, it's, I think it's been a, it's been a lifelong sort of journey in the sense that, uh, I think that we, uh, you know, if you're an artist or if you're a creative person, that's something that you're nurturing from the very, your very first days. Um, for me, I sort of got fascinated by stories and storytelling as a kid. I grew mm-hmm. up in this fundamentalist Christian, you know, it's a fairly cult like, but it's a place called Bob Jones university. They're in South Carolina. And, uh, it's the sort of place where women can't wear pants, you know, dancing's not allowed, mm-hmm. uh, and everything else you would expect with that is the case. Right. And part of that is also that films are not something that are revered. Uh, luckily for me, however, my dad has his master's in uh, English literature. And so I grew up with this sort of kind of an interesting uh, paradox, which is while the context in which I grew up in was very restrictive about literature, media and whatnot, I still was reading all sorts of stuff and I fell in love with like Franz Kafka and Hemingway I mean in like middle school. Cause I was a weird kid and uh, <laughs> you know, I ended up uh, I, I sort of found film in high school. I was really interested. Honestly, I was writing a lot. I thought I wanted to be an author and I was reading a lot of literature and, and just I, when I found, you know, honestly, I think like Lord of the Rings and some of the like, hmm some of when that came out and some of like, uh, that sort of period of me finding film in a way where it was like, Oh, real people make this. And that seems really interesting. And I bought like a little handy cam and I started writing and directing shorts. And I eventually, uh, you know, started watching a lot. I started watching like 
Ingmar Bergman and sort of falling in love with his films and falling in love with like, you know, a lot of films that I'm still connected to today, like a lot of the seventies sort of elevated genre films like the Godfather and, Mm -hmm. and whatnot. I found those in high school. Um, and so I kind of, I kind of became fascinated with filmmaking in high school, but I ended up going to a small, uh, school in, in Ohio and didn't really, uh, studied electronic media, which, you know, I, it didn't really connect to filmmaking really. And, um, ended up doing a lot of like broadcasts and whatnot like that. But on the side while I was in school, I was writing, I was directing and I, I really thought I wanted to be a director. And, um, I sort of, and honestly, I think a lot of people that start off, they start off that way because right. they start off by seeing a movie and they're like, how did that come to be? You know? And then they're like, that's, you know, I want to make that. And, and I feel like a lot of people connect with, uh, you know, I just didn't even know that there were other jobs on set, I think. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that's, I, I, I agree hundred <laughs> percent. I think that's where most people start. So yeah, not knowing and, you can do all these many different things that are available to you. Yeah. And this career sort of encompasses every, you know, it, it encompasses kind of every field in a way, you know, from crafty to, to like construction to anything possible exists within this field. Um, so I started working actually, uh, doing like videography, a little bit of videography, you know, on the side when I was in, in school. And then I came to, I came to Los Angeles with a few shorts and, at the end of school, I did like an internship on this movie that had like Steve Buscemi, Peter Dinklage and a couple other people. And it. it was it was kind of a small movie, but I, I worked in the art department and, uh, you know, and, and with locations. And it was kind of my first chance to be on set and sort of see the process of filmmaking. And I was I was really enamored with it. I, I was also it wasn't what I expected, I guess, mm-hmm. um, just in the sense that, you know, it's long hours. It's I think what's beautiful about filmmaking is it's sort of like it's a familial endeavor where a group of people are all engaged together to towards one common end. And you're looking to have all the right people there so that you all play off each other like a team, you know, it's, I sort of look at like a conductor conducting an orchestra, the director's the conductor and, you know, I get to play like one of the lead chairs or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you need the director to sort of, you, you know, the piece of music, so to speak, has to be extraordinary for the film to be extraordinary. And you need the, you know, the conductor to can play each of the players right so that each person gets to do their thing really well. Um, but I ended up, uh, I ended up, you know, interning on that film and then I moved back to Ohio for a while. And actually my story is kind of interesting and weird because I, I ended up working at, uh, a fairly like well-known dogmatic Christian religious organization, uh, called the creation museum that's in Kentucky. And there's, uh, it was sort of, you know, that was where I first started. I was started shooting and editing when I was there and I, I was doing a mixture of work on, on the side and also, uh, for, you know, for that place. And it mm-hmm. was, I was in, it was kind of an interesting time in my life. It was sort of, you know, I was coming to understand who I was as a person and, and sort of understand what my values and were as opposed to what I grew up with. Right. And I feel like that place and sort of seeing how they, for lack of a better word, I mean, how they manufacture propaganda was sort of, you know, I was faced with this sort of religious hypocrisy as well as the beauty of like, I I mean, I I still have a lot of, you know, religious people in my life and there's a beauty to the compassion and to the, you know, to that world, but there's also a lot of paradox within that world. Right. Um, And so I ended up, you know, 
after working there for a couple of years and, and sort of, I just knew kind of, honestly, when I was in college, I, you know, I thought I wanted to be a director and I, and at that point I was editing, writing, shooting everything that I did. I was doing everything. Cause I just didn't know that's, you know, there's crews for this and they, right. they sort of break this apart and there's different <laughs> roles. And I think there's a, a value to that, to the one man band kind of thing, because you get to know every part of the field, you know, I've edited I, I was an editor for like four years and, you know, I learned how to, to do color because I had to, because I didn't have someone else to do it and like have only grown in those skill sets. And now, you know, the ideal thing is I don't really, I haven't really edited anything at all except for my reel in like, you know, six years. And I haven't really, I only color things here and there as needed, but for the most part there are, I know people and prefer to have people who do this day in day out who are better than me and bring something new to the table and kind of, you know, if you bring a bunch of great people together and you get them all to layer their ideas into something, you get the nuance of all of that as long as the director is able to guide the vision. Right. Um, so I kind of found cinematography, you know, I remember being so shocked when a friend of mine told me, uh, oh, you know, the director usually doesn't operate the camera or the director doesn't usually like, you know, they're not usually the person lighting this stuff or whatever. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and uh, I remember the first, you know, when I came to L.A. and did that internship, I ended up doing I directed like two or three shorts. And then I I shot like three or four shorts as well. And kind of in that process of working with, you know, some actors who had had played in like bit parts on stuff like Cold Case and Missing Without a Trace, that kind of thing, where it's like, OK, like these people know what they're doing and just realizing you know, my skill set is not necessarily in, in guiding and in controlling. Controlling is the wrong word. Guiding and empowering sort of the entire production as well as the actors, guiding the story, guiding the script, you know, understanding the emotional arc of all of this and guiding it. My skill set and interests and strengths, which brought everything I loved about literature, everything I loved about filmmaking into one thing was cinematography, which was how can I use the visual language of something to explore a character, to explore motif, you know, visual motif, symbolism, uh, themes throughout the, the arc of a character and the arc of a story. Um, I didn't, I don't know if I would have articulated like that then I was just like, I really love using a camera and I really love lighting. And this was back in the days before DSLRs. This was, you know, HVX 200 XL ones, XL two, you know, those kinds of, yeah. uh, tape, tape based media. And then the, you know, they had like the P two cards and all that sort of shit. Right. And then, uh, I sort of, so while I was at, you know, while I was working at this religious organization, uh, we had cameras and we had lights and we had all that stuff. So, you know, when we, in our off hours or some of our times off, you know, we would go and, uh, one of the guys that I was friends with, we would go and shoot, you know, a spec commercial or a short film or make something, you know, when we would do like a job for them. And so as things progress, just more and more, I became aware that like, I really wanted to pursue a cinematography. I applied to AFI and I uh, got interviewed, but didn't get in. And I was, you know, really crestfallen by that. But also like looking back, I think it, you know, for me, it was the best path. And everyone's journey is unique. Everyone's journey is different. And, and we're all sort of on our own kind of discovery of self, you know, within the world. And I think it can be really easy to lose sight of that because you want everything to happen faster, you right. know, and you want everything to look different uh, quicker. But the reality is like, it just takes all of those experiences and all of those failures for you to become the person that you are today. And like those make you a better person, make you a better filmmaker. So once I knew that was something I really loved and was passionate about and wanted to pursue, uh, I ended up 
I, I basically reached out to a bunch of people in New York and L.A. and was like, you know, this is my plan. I plan on saving some money up. I'm planning on moving out and just like pursuing this because I just know I'll regret it for the rest of my life if I don't give this a shot. You know, and, and that's not going to work for everybody. I was more ignorant than I realized, but also I was excited and passionate. And, you know, there is something to be said for just going for the things you care about. Uh, if I, you know, at a certain point you realize no one else is going to live your life for you. No one else is, no one else knows who you are or what you want out of your life except for you. And no one's going to make that happen for you if you, you don't set out, you know, whether that's manifesting something or shit like that, I don't know, but I do think you have to kind of, you know, no one's going to give it to you. And right. so I think my wife and I ended up, you know, we saved up for a while and we, uh, we came and looked at an apartment in LA and then, uh, we basically, you know, left everything behind in, in Kentucky and moved to Los Angeles and, it, it was not an easy road. The first year was really tough and, mm. uh, it's freelance itself. I mean, I'm sure, you know, this, you know, Josh is like freelances, it's fe feast and famine. And yep. it, it, it's the sort of thing where you, we, you know, that's not going away. So that's part of what you're choosing, but also it's, it's amazing. Like, I love what I do. I feel so alive doing this. Um, you know, I can talk more kind of about, sort of that journey, I guess, from there, uh, if you want, but I, I, I got really lucky and I ended up shooting my first feature, like maybe half a year within moving to LA. I just, nice. I had enough of a reel and enough of like some shorts and, you know, enough work to at least convince people to hire me to at least shoot. Right. And, um, I was shooting, honestly, at first I was just like, I just want to shoot anything. So I was, you know, found a lot of stuff on like Mandy and Craigslist, which I don't even know if those still have jobs on the, on them anymore, but in LA back in that, you know, seven, seven years ago when I moved to LA, like that, yeah, you know, Mandy, that was, Mandy was really hot back then. So, yeah. And also like, you know, eventually you realize like, Oh, well, most of the jobs that are posted on Mandy or Craigslist, like they just, either they don't have a network, you know, they're coming in from out of town and they don't have a network in LA or, you know, they don't have a network because they've run, those people off or right. something like that. You eventually, you eventually realize that's just not the best way to like meet and get to know the filmmakers that you want to work with. And, um, you know, I've been very fortunate. I've, I've been able to shoot, um, six features in the last seven years and, uh, been able to shoot, you know, one in Mexico city and, and shoot, uh, I, you know, two years ago at the, uh, I was able to shoot, this really incredible experience, you know, where I shot this short film in Japan and was there for like three weeks. I worked with an entirely Japanese crew and, uh, Japanese actors and, you know, it's a Japanese film. And I really love, loved that experience. And honestly, it was kind of a life changing, um, way to make movies. We all live together in a, in a Japanese lodge in the middle of the forest. And, wow. you know, I got to see why like 20 wild monkeys on one of my walks before day of shooting. And we were a really small team, but we, we all like bonded together in a really incredible way. And there was just a really great sense of trust and a really great sense of, you know, I think everything that we do as filmmakers is a part of creating the atmosphere that the actors experience and, and the environment within the actors, within which the actors work, you know? And right. I think that I heard something once that really stuck with me that Yorgos Lanthimos, he directed, um, the favorite and the lobster and, uh, my favorite by him actually dog tooth. 
um, and killing of the sacred deer. But he, uh, I went to a screening in LA that they did and they had a Q and a with him. And he said, uh, you know, filmmaking is all about creating a, a, a community where risk feels safe. Hmm. And it's sort of that idea of like, you know, we're not always going to make the right decision. That's if you're aiming at perfectionism, you're probably going to stifle your ability to make something to be creative. Great. Yeah, sure. It's sort of like, yeah, you kind of have to like, you want to bring together a bunch of great people and sort of guide that vision and that voice. And, and, but along the process, you want to feel that you can, you can take risks, you can make mistakes because you have enough people surrounding you that, okay, maybe that takes not going to make it, make the movie, but we were able to try something and maybe, you know, maybe six out of, you know, six out of seven times that risky take ends up in the film or whatever. Right. Um, I don't know. Yeah. There's, I mean, it's been, LA has been a very interesting place for me to live. I don't think that I still don't feel like it's home. And I honestly, being in Florida was like, I had a moment of like, Oh, these people see me as like a Los Angeles person. And I don't see myself <laughs> that way, but I've been in LA for seven years, you know? Yeah, no, uh, I, it's I just never, a town of... <laughs> it never felt that way with me, you know, like yeah. it, I thought, I felt we had a really good set. You know, I felt yeah. like everyone for the most part, you know, really clicked well together. And, you know, that's always, you know, at least from my side of, you know, the ring, always an important thing is, am I putting people together that, you know, you've kind of spoken to it several times. Am I getting the right people that are going to work well together and allow yeah. that, you know, creativity that you talk about that, you know, that feeling to be free to, to be creative, to, to, to be there because, you know, the, the feeling on sets a real thing, you know, it's, you know, you hear a lot of times about, you know, directors or actors talk about headspace and this and that, or, you know, what's the feeling on set. And it's, it's a real thing. And it's not just in relation to them, but you know, if everyone's cranky and the meals are bad and we're going 18, you know, 16 hour days and, you know, all those things, like it affects the overall feeling of the crew and it just affects the in picture, you know, in its entirety. And so, you know, I do try to put all those things together to the best of my ability, you know, to allow you guys, cause you know, there, there's the most important thing is, you know, my job is only done well when you have the ability to, you know, we still have to operate within a certain set of parameters. Don't get me wrong, but you know, my job is to give you guys the ability to be creative, you know? And, um, that's where I feel like when I've been effective. And so, you know, I was very impressed with everything we got, you know, Dan seemed to be very happy. And I will say, man, like you impressed me way even beyond my own expectations. Cause I, I, I know when we first like hired you and, you know, Doug told me, Oh, we got Nick Matthews. Here's he sent me, sent me your reel. I was like, okay, great. And I looked at it and I think I even told you this the first time we talked was I was very impressed, you know, like your ability dude, and it really excited me about Black Veil, your ability to work with shadows and, you know, darkness was very impressive. And I knew the instant that I saw you, I was like, oh, geez, this is going to be so fucking good. And <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> you saying not, that. not trying to toot your whistle, but I really I, I told Andrew that, too. I was like, Andrew, like I sent Andrew your reel. I was like, Andrew, look at this. This is this is going to be perfect. And he was like, oh, yeah, th dude, that's awesome. And so, and, you know, Andrew saw the reel. He was psyched. And I, that was like the first 
you know, charge forward of like, okay, you know, the first domino has been laid onto the table, you know, or, you know, the first soldier on the risk board is there now. And so you start getting excited and you start saying like, this is going to be, because I feel like at some point, every project, you know, this is either just something else or this is something a little special, you know? And of course, we all like to think that what we're doing is different, but, um, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just patting my, you know, we're patting ourselves on the back, but I definitely feel like we had a good set. We had a great time. It was a creative environment. Um, you know, and creati- creativity also thrives with, you know, adversity and rules. Yep, like yep. creativity is not something that happens in a vacuum. Right. It's sort of like your response to situations and challenges. I, there's a bit of, I wouldn't call it, I think, when you care about what you're doing and you, you know, I think even when you told me that when we first met, I was like, well, don't, don't get too excited because <laughs> there's a sense of like, you just never know where something's going and you right. don't know right. how it's going to unfold. And I think, you know, we had a really great crew. I was really, really thrilled with, uh, I mean, I, I know my team was just absolutely incredible, but I think we had a, we had, there were all the pieces that we needed were there to make this something great. And I, and that only also only starts with a really solid script. And it right. also starts with having, you know, strong actors and also a director who knows how to get the best out of their entire team. But mm-hmm. also something that Dan, you know, something that I really appreciated about Dan. And I, I think that is a really good, you know, big skill set is, you know, Dan never gave up on something. Dan right. never caved on on things. And there, yes, we had time limitations, and that every project, every project, no matter how big it is, there are time limitations regardless. It's right. just the nature of making something. Um, but Dan was really terrific about sticking to his guns. And you know, there were times where I'm like, oh fuck, I hope we, ha- I can find a location. <laughs> that's going to work for what we want because you know, we're getting down to the wire at this point. Well, yeah. I mean, and we, we had what started filming and we still had like two outstanding locations. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you know, there were, um, but there were a lot of locations and, and, and we needed just the right feeling. And we honestly ended up with, so, you know, it's the sort of idea of happy accidents, but we ended up with some stuff that just breathed life into the film, you know, the photography, I think one thing, you know, as a cinematographer, a lot of times you, you end up on something and people sort of expect that, okay, now do your magic and light it and make it look amazing. And it's like, well, that's not, that's not how this is going to work. Like we have to find places that have something inherently interesting, right? Some, something unique about them because the camera will see everything, you know, the camera will, will, will still frame it and control what we see, but unless you have a, a, a production where you can walk in and you just rebuild something in its entirety, like the camera is going to feel everything in frame. So you're, it's, it's so much about you know, understanding your resources and how to, how to maximize those. And, and that's why I think some of it is that same idea and it exists on, you know, it's why you see filmmakers who love make great movies when they're, they're butting heads with, you know, like think apocalypse now or something like yeah, that. Blade Runner, all where this, don't, the shit that went yeah, on there. Yeah. And they don't, they have to face adversity, but they're making choices within that. Right. Creativity thrives on that. And it's why you see some of these bigger films where no one's saying no, and they're just garbage because there's not, it, it they're not faced with the fact that they can't do everything. And, and if there's and a problem, they just throw are, more and more money at it. Exactly. So, yeah. 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 So I, I don't know. I think, 
I think that's it. And it takes having, you know, I'm just one piece of the puzzle and, and I'm really aware of that. I, I think my work is only as good as my collaborators and as good as their work. And I was really fortunate on this to have, and, and that goes to everyone right. from producer to PA, you know, and, and it's, um, when it works, it's really something that's so exciting. It's scary. Like I was, I was definitely like, I can imagine. I get, anxi- <laughs> I get anxious before every project because right. you're going in and you're just, you're sort of like, all right, let's toss the coin here. And, mm-hmm. but every project is that way. You know, if, if, and if you weren't taking risks, then you're not going to make something that's interesting. And if, if you're not taking, you know, if you're anxious, you're probably taking risks and you're probably going to have a chance of doing something that's pretty interesting. To shift gears a little bit, I mean, you had, you know, a, I know a lot of the crew members on the job, so I'm, I'm well aware that you got, you had a very talented crew. Um, but there was, um, I, I want to talk about gear for a second because you had sure. a pretty interesting um, set of lenses to use, and I wanted to know how you how you utilize the lenses. The I mean, they were they were Cook lenses. Um, how did was that planned or was it kind of like a happy accident that you suddenly got a hold of them? I mean, I would say that, you know, as Dan and I looked at a lot of the sort of reference points that we were interested in, you know, even like if you guys, I can send you guys some of these, if you want to see, I'm not even sure if I send them to you, Josh or not. I I definitely sent them to Dan and my crew. Um, But, you know, as we were sort of looking at what is our Southern Gothic, look like what does it feel like what is that you know what is what is that uh visually on screen uh there were a number of different things that we were trying to do um but one of those was i just didn't feel that we could shoot it needed to have a sense of it needed to have a sense of some level of you know a mixture of like grounded impressionism is kind of how i look at it because it's it's all told from this character's point of view and not not that it's first person perspective but we're making choices that uh put the audience into her experience and so as a result you know the lenses were something that were really important to me um we were we wanted to find a set of lenses that gave something we didn't want something that felt clinical we didn't want something that felt too sharp we wanted something that felt a little painterly something that felt a sense of time something that felt a little aged you know and something that felt uh it's like sort of like all those old like you know there's some edmund uh teske photos and some larry clark photos we were looking at there's this like just this older lenses, older film kind of feel. Um, and we didn't want something that felt overly hyper clean or overly um, kind of modern, you know? And so as a result, we were looking at lenses that we thought would give us that. Um, and that I ended up reaching out to a number of different lens manufacturers that I felt like might have something that would really fit the look of this film. And we ended up hearing back from Cook, which was honestly like the only ch- real choice that I, I really wanted was this set of Cook Pancro classics, which we ended up with. That they're incredible lenses. They they are, you know, great for skin tone, but also there's technical things about them that I love. But ultimately, I just felt like they had a feeling that was both 
somehow grounded, but also, you know, it, it hit all those things. It was felt grounded, but impressionistic. It felt three-dimensional. It felt textural without overwhelming the image and kind of becoming muddy and sort of overly soft. Um, it felt, you know, it, it, it felt like it gave us a real charactered look to the film, mm-hmm. something unique and something that gave more nuance and textural, something that made it feel organic when you're, you know, so much of what's shot today is is hyper clean and hyper uh, sort of hyper real. We wanted something that was transportive emotionally and spatially, you know, to this sort of gothic, southern gothic kind of feel. Um, and so those lenses we got, we've, we we ended up getting a set of those. And uh, we mostly shot this on like a, you know, a 21, 27, 40 and 100. Um, I think our were our workhorse lenses and um you know, because you're looking for in certain instances, you're looking to compress space and really uh, be very, very voyeuristic. When you look at a character, there's something foreboding about, you know, a long lens far away looking at a character and sort of the audience is peering in at someone in a voyeuristic way. They're seeing, you know, they're being seen by someone else that they don't know about and can't see. But then there's also this sort of more subjective, immersive kind of wider angle lenses, you know, shooting a close up on a 40 millimeter really places you into a space, but it also, uh, you know, it also gives you like, uh, it's not so wide angle that it's sort of just about the space. It sort of calibrates where your eye looks. Um, and so those, I think those lenses were a big deal for us. We ended up kind of pushing the film in you know, a, a somewhat bleached bypass sort of feel. We shot everything at 1600 ISO um, because we, and we shot some tests too, you know, before we started production um, and kind of, I had a lot that I designed that I showed Dan and he really liked. And, uh, you know, we, I showed him tests at 800 and 1600 ISO. I showed him tests at, you know, with uh, the lenses with filtration, we ended up using a half, an eighth, not a half. We ended up using an eighth black pro mist and, um, uh, you know, that kind of sort of blooms the highlights a bit. It sort of softens the contrast a little. Um, and we try to use, you know, it gives, it gives something that's sort of impressionistic and organic to sort of every frame. As much as those sound like bullshit words, it's like once you see the image, it just sort of, oh, okay, this clicks into this. No, you're, um, so you're painting a like, picture with words. It's, it's, per, it's, very well spoken. I, I, I mean, I personally completely get it. Now, did you have you ever used those lenses before? Or was this the first opportunity for those? Yeah, no, I, you know, I had not used them before. They, I ended up having, uh, just because Florida is still, I'm ex- very excited about what uh, Powerhouse or Power Station. That's what they're they're the name of their yeah but uh, i mean there'll be a powerhouse at some point yeah yeah exactly (laughs) but what power station i'm very excited about what they're doing in the industry in florida and i'm excited about what that might mean for more production in florida i think um right now you know there's not a huge presence from some of those you know manufacturers at lens houses like the rental houses i looked at a lot of their lenses were modern glass and we just knew we didn't want to shoot this on you know we ended up shooting on the alexa and we and because dan and i both feel like it's the digital sensor that feels the most filmic because we wanted this to feel like as much like film and as much like you know something textural as possible and so uh we didn't want to shoot that on overly clean glass but we still needed 
we still wanted a full range of lenses that gave us the ability to make distinctive lens choices within each scene. Um, so I looked at, you know, I looked at tests and I looked around at a, a number of different manufacturers and a number of different lenses. What's great about these lenses is actually they're, they're modern, uh, they're modern housing. Um, but they've been designed to capture the aesthetic quality of some of that older glass. So I've actually shot on, you know, the Cook S S3s and the Cook S2s, which are older kind of uh, spherical lenses, you know, I think like 60s, 70s type era. And I've used a lot of vintage. I actually love vintage lenses. So I've used a lot of vintage lenses, including, um, well, I don't need to say the names. There's too many. But, they're, you know, I'm very fascinated by each of them is unique each of them is different um and i really love the way these lenses flared i love the bokeh of these lenses and i love the way that faces felt with these lenses and so once i saw those tests you know i just reached out and expressed what we were making why we were making it and why we thought these lenses would be would be the perfect companion to this world and why dan and i were both really interested in them and we were able to uh you know we were able to work with them and they eventually sponsored the shoot and um, we're very excited about those lenses being a critical component of the look of this because this just would not have felt or looked the same way without any of those pieces. But you know, the lenses are the literal glass by which you see the world, you know, on a project. So I'm very, I think lenses emote, I think lenses have feelings to, that they, whether it's subconscious or conscious, and you can't always put it into words. Um, you know, and I'm very, I think in this digital era, it's a, I think it was important. Well, lenses you use have always been important, but in a digital era, lenses become your one of your major ways by which you can uh, explore a unique perspective. And I would still say that ultimately, what you put in front of the camera, the actors, you know, what the story is that's happening, that's way more important than what lenses you shoot on. But I was, I was like, there's no way we can shoot this on a, a sharp clean modern set of lenses that's just not going to feel right and you know i was very thrilled uh i was really thrilled that, that we were able to work with them you know i've i've used cook lenses quite a bit i they're not uh you know i'm not i'm not beholden to one lens manufacturer because like i said i think there's just so many lenses that have unique things to say and i want to be able to kind of use all of them in their particular context um, but for this specific film and, and, and for the rest of the show, you know, these cook Pangro classics are going to be our workhorses because they definitively, uh, are the black part of the black veil look. And, well, you, you know, part of that too is also, uh, aperture choice as well. You know, that's, it's, it's like focal length, it's aperture choice. You know, we shot most of this all close to wide open because, some of it is about, you know, cutting the, you know, cutting this character off from the world around her, isolating her, you know, I'm, right. I'm still not, you know, it's the sort of thing when you're shooting at 1600 ISO, you end up putting ND in even at night, uh, if you're shooting at like a, you know, a T2, um, we're, we're but there were times where all the lenses were all the lenses T2s. You know, I can't remember off the, off the top of my head. I think the hundred might've been a two eight. Okay. Uh, I'd have to. Had, I'd have to look it up. He had amazing range then, if that's the case. Um, yeah, and and as a result too, you know, I mean, I'm still not. I mean, look, I if I can light a space up, you know, a bit to the point that I can. I'm not trying to kill my focus pullers, you know, and uh, I I will. It's the sort of thing where if I if I have 
the stop to do it. You know, if I'm shooting with a 0.6 and it's not uncommon that if we go to 100 or a 135 and it's, you know, I mean, it's really fucking hard to do that. Like that's a really tough pool. Um, so even in those cases, I'll stop down a couple stops, you know, and lose the MD. Yeah. Um, you know, the, I, I think part of your job as a cinematographer is also knowing the technical challenges that you're asking of your crew and to try to empower them to be able to do their jobs really well. And if you work with great crew and you know, I was really fortunate to have, uh, you know, our gaffer, Dave Cook was just great. And Andrew, our key grip was incredible. And Sean, my first AC did a really great job. And all of these people, you're trying to empower them to help make this story because you can't make it on your own. And like, you kind of want them, you know, it's the same thing. A director, when a director hires me, I know that they both want me to bring, they want me to bring something to, to the table. They hired me because they liked something about my voice and about my perspective. I'm there to serve them and I'm there to serve the story, but also they want to be surprised by me. And it's, that's how I feel about everyone that I work with. That's crew. I want to give them the tools to surprise me. And ultimately what, you know, if they are able to do their jobs well, it's only going to make me look better and the entire film, you know, a more cohesive, uh, a more cohesive project. Right. Dude, that was awesome. I want to thank you so much for friggin' agreeing to come on here and talk with us. The, the insight is just remarkable. And the, yeah, the way you view everything, it was uh, enlightening to say the least. Yeah. Oh, cool. I'm so glad to hear that. I, I love filmmaking and I, I love filmmakers. I think they're risk takers. And I think that yep. stories uh, open our eyes to other ways of life and, and, and sort of open us up to empathy in ways that almost no other medium can. So I'm just... I'm really, honestly, like, I feel so lucky and I'm, I'm really uh, thrilled to do this for a living. And I, I don't know. I just love the process. It's, it's so exciting. So thanks so much for. Yeah. Same uh, here, man. Be on here. Yeah, man. The, uh, looking forward to episode two and, um, yes. you know, maybe later on after Black Veil's come out and everything, we can have you back on and, you know, talk about Cuck a little bit and talk about, you know, some more Black Veil. That'd be awesome. I'd, I'd really love that. I'm, yeah, I'm very excited to uh, get get to do more episodes down there and and make something that we can all be really proud of. Sure. All right, man. Well, stay safe and uh, you know enjoy the rest of the day, brother. Thanks, Thanks man. You guys take, take care easy. of yourselves. All right, man. Bye. Kevin, it's the end of the podcast. Josh, that means that everybody needs to stop what they're doing, write us a review, and subscribe for future episodes. Yeah, I mean, it would really help us out a lot. It helps us kind of get to the, you know, new and noteworthy section, top of the charts, help us get new people, new interesting and lovely film people on this podcast. Along with that, you can follow us on Instagram at FGI Podcast, and you can also check out more episodes and more information, more bios and information for all of our speakers at fgipodcast.com. This podcast was also recorded live in front of a studio audience, and we flew everyone out on Delta Airlines. No, but um, it was recorded live at Two Stories Media Studios, and it's presented by Greenland Entertainment and Two Stories Media.